Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about developing for mobile devices. This show is hosted by Jake McMullen. Hello. And Ben Trengrove. Hello. And myself, Jelly, aka Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 61. It's supported by our amazing patrons over at Patreon. We are very, very grateful for their support. Indeed. Thank you very much. So we have follow-up. It's not feedback. It's follow-up. Because so last episode, we had a bit of a conversation about Radar and Google's Bug Tracker. Is that the name of it? I keep calling it like Google's Bug Tracker or just Bug Tracker. Yeah, I don't think it has an official name like Radar. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, I think Radar is no longer actually called Radar either. It's just called it, yeah. Bug Reporter. Bug yeah, I don't know if it ever was called Radar. So Radar was so you could use Radar to get like so you could use Radar.Apple.com to get to Radar. But yep. I don't know that that works anymore, and it definitely takes you to like BugReport.Apple.com now. I yeah. know they still call it Radar, like Apple yeah, it's still themselves. called Radar. Yep. Uh, and people still submit things with like the R A D R. Yeah. Uh, scheme. I think it doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> well, so I think it does internally. I think Apple's um, main way of interacting with Radar is a desktop app. I wish they had a desktop app for the, for our end. Like, have you ever used, so the developer, I think it might be the developer preview or the, like the public preview has like essentially like an app that is a, like a very basic version of, I mean, it's not a particularly difficult app, not a web app or, or anything. So it has like a, a, oh, yeah, a like desktop a bug reporting app version of it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's not amazing because Radar is not amazing, but it's like, I like it a lot better than the web version. Uh, I'm just fascinated by what they may be using to maintain and build it because Radar is a web objects app. And back in the day when web objects was a thing, it supported native clients like desktop apps using the enterprise objects framework to talk to the remote app. But I, as far as I know, those frameworks aren't available on OS ten anymore. So how they're doing... How they maintain the radar desktop app would be fascinating. I don't know. So anyway, the reason that I bring this up is because I think I may have put my foot like deep into my mouth in the last episode because um, the reason that it came up was we were talking about radar and Ben mentioned that he likes Google's bug tracker a, a lot more. And then I kind of interrupted him and you know told him that it was still bad. Now I so I'm not this is not a retraction of that. I'm not retracting my comments that I that I've made previously, but I do need to kind of clarify some things about the differences between Radar and uh, Google's Bug Tracker. And Ben, you can I I am happy for you to uh you know rub any of these in my face um, should you <laughs> should you so please. So one of the thing the key kind of things that uh, differences between Google's Bug Tracker and Radar is that Google's Bug Tracker is like open to the public, right? Mm-hmm. And so in Google's bug tracker, you can see all of the activity. You can see things that are being posted by, you know, Google's developers and engineers and stuff like that. Whereas on radar, the only thing that you can see is whether it's been opened or closed and why it's being closed. Mm. And that's huge because before you even go to the effort of filing a bug, you can search to see is, is this thing I encountered a known bug or not? Yeah. That's huge. So it is a big thing, right? Being open is a massive thing and... I may have made it somewhat seem like you know radar didn't need to go open in order to improve itself. That is not what I was trying to put forward. Radar could have massive improvements if Apple made you know more information available to the developers who use it outside of Apple every day, uh, submitting radars and stuff like that. It would make it a lot 
more useful. But the problems that I was talking about with Google's tool are the same problems that any open bug tracking system will have, which are things like issues that still get, you know, they still get forgotten about. They still get overlooked by developers and stuff like that. They still have things where um, they don't necessarily follow the, you know, Google's internal roadmap. So as an example, not from Google because I don't, I don't use it. One of the radars that I submitted a couple of weeks ago before DubDub in the last week or so got marked as works as expected, even though it's the sort of thing where it really, that's not the case, I don't think. The radar that I'm talking about is one where, uh, so if you take an animated image and set it as the selected image on uh, UI tab bar, the animation will be stripped from it and it will just show as a static image. It'll only show essentially the first frame. You can get around it by creating subclass, creating your own property, overriding the, the set selected image and selected image methods on that, store it in your own property, retrieve it from your own property, beam it works. So I submitted a you know, did did the whole thing, submitted everything, you know, pr- produced a you know a project that ex- like that showed it and explained it, and it got marked as works as expected because they don't support animated images in UI tab bar. That sort of stuff, regardless of whether it's open or closed, is still going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Google's bug reporter is open doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfect as a tool. So I mentioned Russ, the, the conversation that I had with Russell about this on one of the topical episodes. I'm not going to link to it again because I think I've linked it to it in the last two episodes. But I, I did mention that Ru- that Russell kind of um, knew that there was some issues with it. But the other thing that kind of needs to be mentioned, and I don't want to have to speak for Russell again because I think I keep getting it wrong. But anyway, one of the things that he was trying to explain to me is that the issues that Google's bug tracker have as a tool are kind of solved by other means and i think they're also issues that apple has and would need to fix in order to make uh, radar as good as what google's bug tracker is and one of those things is the fact that developers are really responsive and that there's the ability to properly chase up issues because the you know people that are the developer um what are they called uh evangelists yeah evangelists and um reps developer reps representatives no yeah. Is that what the word is? Okay. Yeah. Rep, rep is short for representative. It's also short for many other things. Repetition. Repertoire. Yes. Repair. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Like that, that's the sort of thing that, uh, that Apple would also need to improve in order to have a bug tracker that is as good as what Google's bug tracker is. Um, that's how you get a perfect bug tracking system is not just by having an open tool that is seemingly, you know, is seemingly the best that you can have because that's not the end of the story. So I think that um in the follow in following up your follow up, I think the point we were trying to make last episode is that um Google does a better job at fielding bug reports and responding to them. And I'm not sure it's about the tool. I think what it comes down to is caring. And I think fundamentally Apple doesn't care as much as Google does about the bugs that developers report. I don't necessarily think that that's true because if you if they didn't care, I mean it's hard to talk about Apple as a kind of a big thing because the developers themselves do care and it's clear Sure. It's clear when you when you're dealing but, with them in a in a situation like uh you know the labs one on one in the lab you can genuinely see that they value the bug reports. Right. But as an organization, the tool that they've provided to developers demonstrates a lack of care. Like if they really cared, they'd provide 
better tools, they'd be more responsive, it would be a better process. But I don't and think they care that much. I'm sure they know that too. I reckon they're probably just massively understaffed and radar is just a lower priority compared yeah. to like, you know, releasing two features to the public, basically. So And I, I'm not meaning to be too harsh in saying that, but it shows that Google cares more because they yeah. do a better job. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you on that. So the thing is, right? When you're developing, and I think we'll get into this in a moment because we're going to, the topic that we actually have for today will kind of cover this sort of stuff. And again, I've had a, I think I've had a conversation about this with Russell. There, there are, when you're building a software product, you have to set priorities because you can't give everything the same prioritization. It just doesn't work. That's how you end up with, you, you end up with, with issues. Yeah. Um, not like issues in the software, but issues in other things. And that's not to say that it can't be improved by Apple. It certainly could be improved by Apple. I think that's very painfully clear. But I think the point that I was trying to make last time, which may and may not have been the correct point to kind of point out during that conversation, was that opening up radar is not the solution. It's a step towards the solution. Yeah. 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 Can I quickly chime in with something positive in terms of bug reporting? Sure. Um, I think that your point about engineers caring is completely right. So I hit a bug this last week with Swift 2.0 optimizer, it turns out. Filed a radar, heard nothing back. Still haven't heard anything back about the radar. But I also tweeted at one of the Swift compiler engineers whose Twitter handle I happen to know, and he responded straight away with a good workaround. So I think when you have access to the individuals who clearly do care, you get great feedback and great responses. It's just that you know, there's this monolithic mechanism where all bugs go and you don't really know whether the people who actually care about responding to them ever hear about them or not. So that's a good point. And to kind of follow up on that, on your follow-up of my follow-up, I think another thing that we didn't really talk about last time was the Google, uh, the, not the Google, the Apple developer forums, which got a bit of a revamp post keynote this year hmm. and have been opened up. So they're now um, available to like you know, for search engines to Index. index and stuff like that. Wow. So you don't have to log in to see them? No. I, I don't believe so. So why not just use Stack Overflow? I don't know. But the thing about the developer forums is that it's kind of the closest thing that you can get to a lab outside of DubDub with, with Apple anyway. Mm. The developer, like the engineers and stuff at Apple do actually like look at those those things. It's possibly a good idea to go and look there for solutions to issues if you're having them. Mm. Previously, that's kind of been really not great. Maybe I don't necessarily know if that's been improved with this new revamp, but it is a solution where you can go and you can try and talk to an engineer yeah. directly without having to go through radar, without yeah. having to like you know shout into the void. It kind of almost fills a hole that radar has, but I mean, ideally, that that's still not a solution. It's just a step towards a solution. But that is an that is an alternate option that you can have if you, if radar is not giving you the results that you require maybe try the forums hmm. mm. good tip so this week i am preparing to submit a new version of gift wrapped to the app store so i've set myself a you know a date and all that sort of stuff that i'm kind of working towards and i've had it for a while now 
and probably running a little bit over, but I'm kind of working with that. And I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, because I know that you guys deal with this a lot as well, on a sort of a different space with uh, we're doing for clients and stuff like that. So I think it kind of covers a lot. I'd like to talk to you about um, like submitting to the App Store and things like deadlines and, and preparing and stuff like that and what you guys do in order to do that. So first of all, and I think the most important thing is uh, a deadline right for submitting do you guys do you guys use deadlines at all yes definitely i mean they're not normally imposed by us they're more imposed by clients so it's kind of out of our hands but yeah for sure yeah okay and like and how do you approach how do you approach those are they a fixed thing do you like how do you organize yourself to be prepared for a deadline work harder (laughs) (laughs) no not really um no we prioritize so we have a list of to-dos basically and we prioritize them and work from the top, you know, and they also have like priorities such as it, the release can't go out unless this one is done. And then the bottom of the list is this would be nice, but if it doesn't make it, it has no real effect. Yeah, I think that I guess the sort of big picture strategy for dealing with deadlines that I have is, I mean, firstly, with the App Store, it's hard, right? Like it depends. The first question I would have is, is the deadline a hard deadline or a soft Soft, doing quote marks, deadline. Hard deadlines are things like where there are absolute external things, like, you know, you're doing an app that goes with an event and the event is happening at a particular time. That's a hard deadline. The event can't be moved. Or there's, you know, a whole heap of marketing being organized around certain things and marketing's booked in and can't be moved. So there are reasons where, you know, you've got a kind of absolutely immovable point in time where an app needs to be in the store available for people to download. And that's kind of the worst position to be in. Because whether your app is available in the store at a particular time is not entirely in uh, in your control. There's the whole app review to think about. So if we're working to a deadline like that, my first thing would be to be ultra conservative with timelines to try and make sure that we'll have something to submit well in advance of that actual deadline um, to allow time for the app store approval processes. And I generally try and encourage clients to allow enough time for a rejection or two. Not necessarily because we do dodgy work, but because App Store approval processes can be a little bit arbitrary and random, like we've all encountered situations where, in fact, we had one the other day updating an app for a client. So it was an existing app um, that had already gone through the App Store approval process and was available for download. Um, And we released an update to it. And the update was metadata rejected because the app uses background audio. And they asked, why do you use background audio? We, we can't figure out why your app needs this entitlement. Okay. And when you're working to a deadline, right, and you get App Store metadata rejected because the reviewer wants you to answer a question for them, um, that can put a spanner in the works. So I guess advice would always be allow enough time for rejections. Yep. And then in terms of managing the process between wherever we are in time and this time. So, so basically I'd say you'd want to submit at least – Two, like it depends on the average review times. Typically, they're about five business days. Although I don't know, this year it seems to have been a little bit worse than that. I don't know if Apple have caught up. They again. do vary. There are ways that you can kind of keep tabs on what the average is. Yeah. So um, a- Apple publish on their own website. So they have a number that is published on their website that is that tells you the percentage of new apps or something or other that get approved within approved five within business five days. business days. Yeah. Which is nuts. The one that I actually find more useful is the there's a third party uh, service that tweets the time yeah. uh, each night, roughly. I mean, here it's roughly midnight, but you know, various places it might be different times. 
so they tweet like actual days, you know, yeah. the iOS store is currently six days and the Mac store is currently eight or, yeah. you know, whatever. And that's just based on ran- random samples from developers so who that's, have said. Yeah. So that's based on samples from uh, from Twitter where people tweet the time frame that it took and uh, hashtag yeah. that they use to collect the data. So I generally try and say plan to submit at least two review cycles prior to your release date. Yep. So, you know, two to four weeks. And then it's about planning the time between wherever we're at and that submission date. And I like to, I guess, work iteratively so that, you know, we're not working towards a single build for submission, that like every week or fortnight we're producing a build for internal distribution and testing and review. So sort of along the way, you've got progressively more and more complete release candidates. Um, And something I often recommend is that you – Actually, so with test flight, I find that um, that submitting, distributing some of those progressively more complete release candidates through test flight is a really good sort of um, dry run for submission because you've got to go through basically the same mechanism. Yeah, and what you're talking about here is the test flight beta submission, so the the beta review. Yeah, and actually having it not go through like the um, it's not really expedited, but you know the. Marking it as something, you know, things have changed significantly and having it actually be oh, reviewed. I guess I'm talking about just using TestFlight at all. Right. Like using TestFlight at all means that you've had to get together your marketing collateral. You've had to upload a screenshots and you've had to upload an icon or start to think about that. Right. Um, yeah, having to make sure your code signing's working and, you know, all of the mechanics, logistics of preparing a build you're doing weekly or however often you're producing your test builds. And then on top of that, if every now and then you tick that box to say, yeah, there are significant changes, review it, you give the reviewer an opportunity to flag with you any potentially major issues that you, you could surprise you if you wait until the actual submission. Hmm. And so generally, as we get closer and closer towards a deadline, everyone will be testing more and more progressively finished release candidates until we get to a point where we say, look, worst case scenario, if for whatever reason we can't get something else ready in the next few weeks, is this releasable? Um, And then at that point, I actually often suggest submitting that to the store as a a full submission, but with the release date into the future, um, so that you can have certainty that, okay, there is a release there that has been approved that we can now go in and click the button whenever we like to make live, you know, well in advance of that date that you actually want to do. And perhaps in advance of having all of the features that you'd ultimately want done. So it's basically have making you know that um, prioritization around, okay, what's the minimum feature set and the minimum amount of polish uh, that are required to, for this to actually be releasable? And then what's left to do that we really want to get in there? Mm. And then there'll still be stuff beyond that, which is you know stuff we'd love to have features that we want in the next version. So it's, it's sort of basically continually having conversations with clients about that managing which features are going to make it into the build and which features will make it into the next version and things like that. Right. So how about code freeze? Because this is something that I'm kind of dealing with um, at the moment because, you know, leading up, to a, leading up to a build. And it's something that I've dealt with kind of before. Typically, my, like, my previous kind of uh, approach to this sort of thing where uh, you kind of stop working on you know on the on the code so that it's you know you're not progressing things or trying to you know fix major bugs or and stuff like that. Typically, what I've done in the past is when I submit it, I kind of say to my you know beta testers, 
um, okay, well, if you come up with anything between now and then, it's probably not going to get uh, touched unless, you know, it's, you know, a mission critical thing. Do you guys do a lot of the same thing? Like, do you basically say, okay, we need to not work on the app at this point, um, you know, until something uh, something external has changed for things like, you know, review or leading up to a, 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 a um, release date? Try to. It never works, though. And I think it's an awesome idea. And we also tried the same thing at Shiny Things where we would say, this app is going to the app store. We're not going to touch it now. And we just let it sit for a week to see if any huge things sort of fall. You know, you might discover yep. a massive problem and then we go, okay, we'll fix. And then we tried to go for another week. But it just never works, especially if you're pushing towards a deadline. You want to do that code freeze, but it just feels like wasted time by the end of it. Even though pushing another change may make another bug, it's still like, but we could fix this bug that we've found. Definitely no new features, but even bug fixes, you don't really want to touch unless they're really critical. But if you found like a semi-important bug, it's like, oh, it's just one line. I can just fix it. And that's where it falls apart. So let's say you've submitted it to the app, like you've submitted it to the app store and it's sitting in there waiting for review or in review or whatever. And you come across a bug and it's, you know, not necessarily mission critical, but you kind of like really would like to fix it because, you know, you'd rather it go out to the stores, you know, with, with no majorly known bugs. Like, is that something that you would kind of pull it from review for or like pull it and then resubmit it? T- depends on the timing. Yeah. So def- if and, the, and the bug. Yeah. If your app crashes on launch on iOS 7, that's a developer reject. So what if it was uh, something like, um, let's say, like right now you're working on an app and you're about to come up to Code Freeze. And I'm not talking about this is not my experience right now because I'm still before Code Freeze. So, you know, don't, this is not a, I'm asking for a friend thing. So let's say that you're working on an app right now and you've just submitted it for release, but iOS 9 public beta is something that is happening this year. So what you're actually ending like end up having to deal with, you can't submit a, like an iOS 9 release, but it's probably in your best interest that it works on iOS 9, right? <laughs> so what? let's say you come across, you've submitted an app and you come across an issue where it causes the app to crash on iOS 9, but not previous builds. What do yeah, you do? Definitely let like it now, stay. Now, today. Yeah, let it stay. There's no way I would develop a reject for crashes on iOS 9. Unless there was no real reason for the deadline. Like, if it's just an arbitrary date that someone's picked and that person is me or that person agrees that iOS 9 is something worth worrying about, then, like, I, it completely depends. I mean, in the case of in the case of GIFRAPT, I'm releasing, like, in the next week because I want to ha- actually have a new release ver- happening for iOS 9's actual release. Yeah. But, I mean... So, so you want to kind of clear the decks. So you want to clear the and- deck and get onto the next your next version. No, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't reject. I would let it stay. You'd just let it go? And then fix it in the next version? Fix it yeah. in the next one. I've written timing here, but I don't actually know what I meant by that because I didn't have any sort of, uh, there's no like questions underneath. It just says timing. Don't release on a Friday. That's my rule with timing. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I think that this question over how to manage deadlines and decisions about bugs that you find whilst waiting for releases to go out becomes less of an issue the more frequently you release builds. So I know a lot of um, companies these days have really regular release cycles. Like Facebook, Facebook. do two weeks, right? Oh, so many of the big guys do it now. Yeah, so do a lot. Um, And I think it's a great idea because what it means is the exact case you've talked about 
It's not a, do we develop a reject so that we can fix this one last bug because once we've done that, we're done and the release is out there. It's just a, does that go in this cycle or next? Right. And as soon as you've submitted a stable build for this cycle, it's like, okay, it's clear. We'll do that in next. We'll, we've got another build coming out two weeks' time. Which is fine for the big guys because the big guys have, you know, like teams that work on these apps and they're, they're the sort of thing like, you know, Facebook. I mean, Facebook's releases are done automatically and they're just kind of done as like at a like a stable point within the, the repository. I think it's kind of easier for smaller projects to create release builds. Like there's nothing to stop you doing pushing a build to the store every two weeks. Well, there is. And I mean, I'm not talking necessarily about like it's really hard as a as an individual developer, as a small time developer, developing an app every like essentially building out a new version to go out every two weeks is really difficult. Which, um in which the bit. Well, all of the bits. So as an example, I'm working on GIF wrapped right now, right? Yeah. Uh my goal has been to release roughly an update every every month or so. Month. Not two weeks. Month. month. Yep. And I have well and truly gone past that with this release. So is it about finding features that you can add that are small enough units of work that you can complete it within that amount of time? Well the problem is it- some of the problem is like dealing with larger features that need to go in, you know, in order to make smaller features work. Because part of the problem is like again, you can submit features and it was mentioned before you can submit a you know fi- fix for a bug that just introduces another bug. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that bug might actually the introduced bug might actually be worse than the original bug. Yeah, could uh, be. And that is very much the case with, for instance, the current like, the last couple of updates that I've released for uh, for GIF wrapped. In my rush to get them out within a month, yeah, during the time that I had, I ended up creating more like worse and worse problems for myself to the point where the reason this one has gone over time is because I've been fixing those problems that I was kind of developing for like a regular release cycle. Yeah. Yeah. The thing with the thing about Facebook is that they are usually developing. So even if they're developing large features, they'll have a team working on a large feature and teams working on just fixing stuff. And Mm. like, it's just, it's just submitted in just like, like, I mean, they, they've got, videos i mean there was a video that we met that we linked to a while a few months ago maybe a couple of months ago about like them talking about how they do their like their their git stuff and all that sort of stuff i think it was from facebook conference or something well i'll find it and i'll put it in the show notes again because it was really interesting Hmm. yeah it's the facebook infra team they call themselves and that's their whole job (laughs) it's dealing with the continuous integration which is cool yeah and it's full on yeah but they have swarms of people and that's difficult to do with, yeah, with look, a much smaller team. I, I completely agree. But I think the principle of getting into a rhythm of regular releases is a good one. Because if the more regular your releases and the closer together they are, then the small, the smaller the set of changes that can happen between any two releases. So, for example, you could push out a release to GIF Wrapped that just has the bug fixes from the last one and no new features. Get that out. And then the following week, maybe do one other bug fix, get that out, and then the following week start work on a new feature. And so you've got... That sounds great, but sometimes you're talking about like adding a new feature is a much larger chunk of work and you can't work as a single developer. It's very difficult to work on two things at the same time. You can't really... Like you need more than one person in order to really be kind of developing both bug fixes and new features. Uh, at the same time, it's only when you add a second developer that you can actually do that. Because otherwise, what you end up doing is you end up either pulling yourself off of the new feature to work to fix a bug mm. and submit it, 
and then you've got to go back to the new feature. But you've also got to make sure that when you fix that bug, that that bug is also fixed, fixed in the, in the new, new feature, feature version. version. Yeah. And if the two overlap somehow, then it becomes much, much more difficult if you're fixing a bug on the same thing that you're actually introducing a new feature on uh, or redeveloping as a new feature. It becomes much more difficult. Yeah. I don't disagree with you on the whole, like, have a regular release cycle, but I think it it's something that you've got to... F- figure out for yourself you can't do like a oh yeah you can't i'm not saying everyone should Facebook. do everyone's that's it from now on every app store release must be every two weeks i i think i like i i've tried one of the things that i've been trying to do myself recently is trying to pull back and you know release more re- release stuff more regularly especially now that i'm kind of yeah. you know indie and full-time and i'm just working on gift wrapped pulling back and trying to you know focus on releasing things regularly every you know every month at the moment, it's actually I'm kind of trying to time it for every two months, mm. and that doesn't. So I'm setting myself the way that I'm setting my deadlines is I'm setting them for the end of a month. My last deadline was the end of June, mm. um, and I've obviously kind of gone over that a little bit because the like the feature that I've been working on the read like the redevelopment of something has kind of taken a little bit longer than it was supposed to. But you know that's and that's okay, and I'm not. Like to get into a good rhythm, I need to be able to, you know, you need to be able to stick to those deadlines. And I think deadlines are important things to stick to, but you, sometimes you're gonna go over them. I think as well, you gotta you gotta flip your thinking about it. Instead of going, ah, oh, I can't do a one month release date, and I totally agree with every everything you said. By the way, some things are just completely unavoidable. But you gotta think about how could I switch to a one month release cycle and invest in, you know, things like automation and. Just like anything that's taking up your time that's not really that important or could be automated, you should invest in doing that sort of stuff and having a look at your process as a whole and seeing how you can improve it to get to that one month, one month goal or whatever cycle you set. I went to actually at, it was at NS conference. There was a talk there and one of the girls said how she, as soon as she's done something three times, that's it. She has to automate it. That's the rule she set for herself. And it's pretty cool. And she says sometimes it does feel like all the work I'm putting into the automation, I could have done this job 10 times by now. <laughs> but it pays off in the long run. So what's something that you've, like, do you have an example of something that you've done that you've automated in order to improve your yeah, workflow? Yeah, um, All of our sending builds to clients is pretty much automated. The only thing I do now is click notify if I want to send an email because I don't want every push to send the email. That would be annoying. And you guys are using, just to clarify, you guys are using hockey, right? Yeah, we That's use what hockey. you guys use? Um, we have another so hockey, project, though, that as it has 15, I think 15, roughly 15 apps in the same project because they're kind of like reskinned for different things. Can't mention what it is. And that would have just been too expensive on hockey. So what we did there is we use just S3 because it's Android. We can distribute however we want. And then I wrote a little script that generates a page then at the bottom, it has all the changes, which just come from the git commits. So I make sure I write a good commit message, and that becomes my release notes. And then at the top, it's a link to every one of the latest builds. And it's all automated. I don't do it at all. So stuff like that. Like, you got to look at where your time is going and where you would rather it go and then fix it. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And I guess the other thing is trying to, and this is something I struggle with as well, because we try and use, I guess, I'm not really in the camp of being too much of a zealot around any one software development process, but we try and use sort of agile style processes, which have this idea of regular releases. And the reason I'm a fan of it is because I think it lowers risk. Like I think I get really nervous when I think of 
a huge amount of work leading up to a deadline without breaking it down into kind of smaller bits of work and smaller deadlines along the way. So really like the idea of having like Scrum uh, has kind of this, well, you can pick your sprint cycles, so being a, a period of development. So working, say, towards a two-week sprint, trying to say, okay, the start of every two weeks, you think about what features are we going to do this two week in this two-week period. And the idea is, I'm saying this because it's not, it's it's not always possible to do it. It's hard um, that you make a commitment to, like, if you schedule a particular feature for that sprint, that you say you're gonna you're gonna deliver it, um, and then at the end of the sprint, you know, you have a release that has that feature in it. But it means trying to break thing features down into something that's achievable within that time frame. And part of that is part of that. And part of Scrum, I believe, is like reassessing how yeah. how much you actually did get done, and exactly kind so, of using that knowledge to fuel like future yeah sprints sprint, sprints exactly. I, I I feel dirty using that terminology. I know it it feels like I'm not a I'm not a convert to the kind of I think that there's a lot in those practices that is useful without necessarily having to get into all of the terminology and stuff. But basically, that idea, um, and I find it useful to sort of say. Like if there's a big feature to try and break it down into some smaller features and some of them might not even be user visible. I mean, that's challenging. It's like, how do you push a release out that's basically got nothing that users are going to see in it, but that lays the infrastructure for something that they will see in a subsequent build? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Um, What is the feature that you're working on at the moment and could it be broken up into smaller pieces? So part of being non-indie for eight months or so there like part of being kind of not being able to spend a good quality amount of time on the app yeah um has meant like losing traction a little bit like yeah. um you know i did why well, i wasn't i haven't at all in the last eight months or in the last almost a year now been preparing for ios 8 at all because yeah. i can't yeah. and it was impossible i was working on gift wrapped outside of hours within yeah. you know within the time frame that i had spending time as well on other projects like for instance mobile couch it becomes like it becomes difficult and i mean i know other developers who develop like who work on apps as part of the thing that they love because and they do it outside of hours and it takes a toll it's really hard yeah and so one of the things that i had to give up in that particular thing was even though everybody was constantly on my case about it was ios 8 like extensions doing things like with new features that were available it was just a thing that I just had to say, I can't, I can't do it right now. I've got to focus on just kind of improving the the underpinnings of the app. This particular release is part of that. It's a little bit about getting you know, new features out there, but it's mostly about fixing things. But part of that is like, like severe kind of going under the hood and mm. rethinking certain things and re kind of considering the way that I built things to try and you know make the app better. I think I've done a pretty good job with this round. And yeah. You know, it's it's improvement. Like, there's a lot of improvements and stuff like that. But it's the sort of thing where it's difficult to meet a deadline. And obviously, I've I've gone over the deadline that I had previously set for myself. But I mean, I kind of always expected that it would be some somewhat of a soft deadline. But this mm-hmm. weekend is hard deadline. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm actually trying doing to try and make sure that I make the deadline this weekend is rearranging some of the schedule that I had, um, rethinking some of the features that I really wanted to put in that people have been asking for. And kind of saying, well, I, they're just going to have to wait. Um, pushing them off to the next release. Yeah. Have you? Do you guys ever do that? Like, do you guys ever, you know, have to convince your clients that we need to push this this feature because otherwise we're not going to make you release? All all the time. <laughs> I don't know that all clients 
need that much convincing. I mean, I think that um, people that are familiar with mobile software development sort of come to understand that what you're building is not a once-off. What you're building is a continually evolving service, and that means continually making changes to it. So, you know, the idea of planning a kind of, I'm going to use another term that I feel like the need to put air quotes around, a product roadmap, it frees you from that sense that everything has to be, like that there's lowers the stakes for the decision as to whether or not a feature gets in a certain release. Because if there's another release around the corner, you know that that feature is still going to get out there and users are going to use it. And it lets you, you know, be a bit more incremental about things. So it sort of reduces the risk by sort of saying, okay, we're preparing a build for submission. Yes, we did just find a bug, but fixing it might break other things and it's not a showstopper. So let's get this one out and we'll put that in, in the next release that we push out in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Fair enough. And sometimes, like, even major features. Like, I, I like to talk about Apple. We all like to emulate Apple, don't we? I don't know about all things. <laughs> I try to be a bit more responsive <laughs> to, 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 to bug reports. <laughs> um, but do you guys remember the first iPhone? Yeah. I, I never had one, but it did, yes. It didn't have copy and paste. Oh, that didn't have copy and paste until, like, iOS 3 or actually iPhone OS 3, right. I think it was. So I like that story with clients because everyone can see the huge success that iPhones have been. And I think it's easy to forget that it's been an evolution. Um, and so drawing people's attention to the fact that, you know, the first version can be successful without being everything that you might imagine it could become. You know, you pick what are the, what are the, the really important things that it needs to have in order to be useful mm. and then, you know, get it out there so it can be useful. And then start working on adding all of the other things that you've always wanted it to have. You know, it's 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 basically just sort of saying version two isn't just the stuff that you thought of after version one was released. Version one is is the minimum that you need in there to be useful. And then version two is where you can start to put in, you know, those other features that yeah. you didn't get time to do in the first version. And I think it's important to note as part of that, though, like for, for people who are releasing an app that you know might have already competitors out there that already have copy and paste, you probably that already have copy and paste. <laughs> it's going to be that like that sort of thing is a little bit more difficult, and it's something that you're actually going to yeah uh, have to consider. Yeah. With that in mind, though, I mean there are ways that you can kind of mitigate that. You can like, I think it all comes down to just having a little bit of time thinking about things and preparing for things. I think a lot of us kind of are very gung-ho about like, oh, yeah, let's build it. And we just get in there and we go for it. Um, sometimes the best thing that you can do for a product is not build it, is just plan mm. first and have have an idea of what you want to think about and what you want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, I don't necessarily mean like figure out a 10-year plan or anything like that. That's that's crazy. You, you Like in the world of software, you probably don't want to be thinking <laughs> yeah. that far ahead. Just think about what you want, what you want to do with it, and where you want to go with it, and what you need to do in order to be able to make it a, something that's a su- success. Yeah. And and like with Scrum and sprints, you reassess cont- continually. Yeah, and just you know, kind of keep moving forward. Anyway, th- that's been really helpful. I've you actually made a lot of good points that I hadn't thought about previously. You sound so surprised. <laughs> well, I'm surprised that you've got good points. I'm not surprised Ben's got good points. Ben's always got good points. He just oh, doesn't thank you. say them. He just doesn't say them very, you know, very often, which maybe is why, like, why he's always got good points because he just doesn't say. Just hold like, back. He just the doesn't bad talk ones. as much. 
Yeah, he just holds back <laughs> on everything else. You're trying to tell me something. I think, no, I'm not. Not at all. Not even slightly. If you would like to read any of the show notes that we have for this episode, you can find them on our website. That website is mobilecouch.co forward slash 61. We made it past 60, which is good because it's good. If you would like to send us some feedback or some comments or some bug reports, I don't do, do you have, is there such a thing as bug reports for podcasts? I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe you should file a bug report about that. Send us an email, hello at mobilecouch.co, or you can jump onto your web browser and send an email from the website. That's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. Uh, you can also contact us individually. Jake is on Twitter, McMullen. That's J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. Ben is also on Twitter. We're all on Twitter. But Ben is Ben Tregrove. B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E and I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you everybody for listening. It has been great to talk to you again. We look forward to talking to you again in two more weeks' time. After we've all shipped new versions of our apps. (laughs) Yay! Thank you to our patrons for supporting the show. We are very grateful to you all. We will see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.